the Tanya, the Tanya begins his work with an introduction, and I'm a big fan of of introductions, even though I shouldn't be. What well, even though you know, I don't know the different kinds of people. When when you when I think when most people get a new a new a new device, they don't read the instructions. Um, my wife literally loves reading instructions. Like for her, the most exciting thing is the first thing she looks like when she buys a new device: washing machine, hair dryer. Um, Lego. Say again. Lego. 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 Le- excellent. Excellent. Clicks. Um, Playmobil. She she opens it up and she like reads the instructions. She, like for her, the most exciting thing is reading instructions. You too, Ralph. Not so much. She loves reading instructions because then you know what to do with it. And she's like, she's like, she goes buys things from Ikea and like figures it all out. And then like 10 seconds later, like this bookshelf emerges. And like for me, it's like I just see the thing, I throw the instructions away and start to put the pieces together and then take them out because I put them in wrong and then try. And then like eventually I get this really misfitted thing because like I broke one piece, I lost three screws and like it doesn't fit in. So really, I'll be terrible. You should really look at the instructions first. So I'm terrible at it when it comes to practical things, which is the story of my life. But when it comes to Torah, I'm actually very good at it. And the instructions for use of a book are the Akdama. So if you don't read the Akdama to the book, which is introduction, so you don't really know how to use a book. This is classically expressed in the, in the Mrs. Sharma, as we've seen so many times. It begins by saying, which means he starts with his book by saying, I'm writing this book not to teach you something you don't know, which of course would render the book obsolete in the normal context of genre of Torah when something is simply stated, but in that introduction, he tells you exactly how to use this book and it has to be used in a completely different way to every other book. So the Bible Tanya gives us an introduction to his amazing, amazing savior of the Tanya. And he says the following thing. He starts off with a kasha, which is such a powerful kasha. And he says, Hearing, having a personal interaction with a live individual is fundamentally different from reading about it in a book. So now I want you have an, when, when we're in this room together, there's a certain energy, there's a dynamic, there's, there's a pulsating there's a pulse. There's a pulse to the experience. If you then read the words that I'm saying, someone else is saying, the the experiential energy is greatly depreciated, both in terms of the experience, but also in terms of the potential for interaction. So, for example, when I say something which is slightly off-key, or even something which is perfectly on-key, Dean gets upset, more, more specifically in the latter. And... <laughs> We can explore. We are exploring that. So, and then we have an interaction, and then in that interaction, we kind of hammer things out, and we reach some kind of dialogued understanding about what occurred. But when you're in a book, the first problem is there's no interaction, there's no relationship. It's it's generic. It's like it's there, and I'm taking it down. So it's a problem reading a book. And this is the Balatanya introducing a book that he really wants to. He's going to see create a substitute for interaction. He wants his book to be a substitute for an interaction. So I asked by saying, well, how am I going to do that? Hooray, you can't do that. And he says, 
When a person reads a book, there's another problem. When I'm reading a book, I'm going to be reading a book based on my limited paradigms and my capacity to understand. So it could be that the book has way more to say than I grasp. When you are you and I are interacting, judging by your body movements or your eyes, your pose, I can say, did you get that, Gabe? And you'll say, no, not really. I say, this is what I meant. And you go, oh, okay, I got it. But when you're reading a book, you may not even stop to think you got it. You may have thought you've got it and you haven't got it. So reading books is actually a dangerous occupation in terms of getting what the true wisdom in that book is. And that's exactly, isn't that an amazing point? Torshav al So he says, um, And if a person's mind is not well organized, it's all the balagan inside of there. And if a person's mind is all confused and you don't have the capacity, you don't have the learning, you don't have the skills, you don't have the background, you don't have the clear thinking power of being able to sort out and to extrapolate and to deal with and to integrate and to internalize, so then you don't get to see the light contained in the svarim that you're learning. So therefore he says, so why am I writing this book? In other words, he sets himself up for disaster. If I'm writing this book to teach you something, but you're not going to be able to use it because you're going to be reading it. And if you read it, you're not going to be able to get it. Which isn't that, isn't that an amazing way to start a book? No, it's so genuine. It's so authentic. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like so authentic. It's like saying, you know, if you're writing a book which is just recounting some kind of set of historical events or it's presenting you with some kind of information, so then you can definitely use the, the written word. is incredible for that. Um, but if you want to actually engage in, in unlocking some deep insight, well, then the written word is extremely inefficient because I can just glance through it. I mean, how many people? I, I see people. I've been learning Mr. Australian for the last, let's say, more than 30 years. Now, of course, I'm not the world's genius. And that could be part of the reason. But for me, every time I see new, new, new stuff, new stuff, new stuff, new stuff, it's, it's, un, un, it's unending. Same, same thing with the truth, same thing with Gemara, same thing with everything in Torah, that the more I learn it, the more I understand how I never understood it before. Which means, what would have been if I would have kept my learning of a given Sefer 30 years ago and not had this appreciation of this ever evolving depth of interaction between me and the word I would have I would have I would have thought oh the book is saying that and it's actually not saying that at all and that's why when people say to me well it's a Gemara it's what I never take anyone's quoting anything ever seriously because they are quoting it based on what may be the limitations or the confusion of their own minds and therefore what it says on the page that they can verbatim describe is actually totally irrelevant to me because I have no idea what the Gemara is saying. I have no idea what the Sefer they're saying is quoting, is saying. And based on a person's limited comprehension, you can pretty much do anything you like with anything and just tie it into your narrative, tie it into your own shrinked, narrow, linear style of seeing the universe. So this is a great point. Um... I mean, he says so, so much more than that over here, but I think it could be, it could be too, too much. Yeah.
So you know, I, so it depends. How, <coughs> he gets around it by saying that this book isn't written for the man on the street. I've written this book for the people that I know already, and we've spoken so much, and we have a kesher. And it wasn't a It shouldn't have been. I mean, based on his Hagdama, it was really a very niche safer for a particular group of people that he had personal interaction with. And this would be something that after having a Kesha with him, understanding him, they could somehow rediscover him through his written works. Hmm. But for us, we're so, so, so far away and so distant. So, so then it could be that we have no access to this. Um, was there, is there any adaptation of of persons of any person's adaptation of Torah anywhere is false basically because it's just their linear way of seeing the world so so, so Benny's raising a beautiful issue um, how does one have a true interpretation of Torah a true or I don't, I don't want to say interpretation a true access point a true vision a true avenue into the reality of number one and number two, and this is actually a point that now that you've mentioned, we can deal with it. The Torah's paradigm of truth must be inherently different from the um, generic collective understanding of what absolute truth means. In I think in the world out there, the stum, the default position that people understand a truth, an absolute truth to be, is this is the only way that something can be viewed. And that's, that's what an absolute truth is. In other words, people see absolute truth in the, through the perspective of what we'd call um, mathematical. There are mathematical formulas which are, which are true for all times, all ages, and all situations. There's no deviation whatsoever. So if you hold that to be a truth... So then everyone has to subscribe to it. There's no room for diversity. And everyone has to, against their will, be compelled to, to admit that it's correct. However, and that's called, that's called mathematics. There's a whole other world out there, which is really the world we live in. And that's called the world of science. And the world of science is very, very iffy. It's very iffy. It's very changing. It's no theory really lasts that long, and everything we believe now probably will be overturned in a couple of generations' time, certainly as quantum physics gets more traction, things like people being influential over the result of experiences <coughs> and can, through the intention of my um, opinion about our light, is light a particle or wave nature will in fact influence the experiment. So the will of the experimenter influences the particle nature of the molecules. That's freaky stuff. No one gets it. People describe quantum physics as the dreams that stuff is made of. So things are probably going to be totally revolutionized. We're slowly but surely chucking out Newtonian physics and we're going to have a whole completely different vision of the world. That's what science is. Because science never really gets all the parameters and all the variables down. It just comes up with the best workable solution 
with the given variables and creates a theory, and it's always only a theory. And that theory can be debunked. But until the theory is debunked, so it functions well. So until now, till Einstein, Einstein gravity was a great malach. Post-Einstein, it doesn't work. So, so, but it worked then, and it, and it answers lots of questions, but it doesn't answer all the questions. So science is, when we look at the natural world, we don't really know what it's doing. Based on our capacity to reason empirically, we develop fundamental principles, which tested through experimentation seem to work. But we never know if they're the real, we never, they, we never know that they're the real pshat. We think that they, they're the working mahalach. They're good havamina. But all of science is, is one big havamina. Varaya, if it will be a maskona, it will never change. Sorry, when I use these words, havamina, maskona, I hope I'm, I'm communicating clearly. Havamina means what the Gemara initially thinks to say. Maskona is the Gemara's conclusion. So havamina is, I present something. It's well-reasoned. It's well thought out. But then something else comes along and says, you thought that way, but look, we've got a proof otherwise. Okay, so I reject it and I adopt the new position. Um, science is a havamina. There have been many, many, many theories of science which, as history progresses, they get chucked out and new ones replace them, which are good haverinists, until something else comes up which defu- refutes them, and then you replace it. Maths is not like that. It just stays. You know, Pythagoras is still right today. Okay. So, therefore, when we speak about the living in the world, essentially what we speak about is a world where we don't know the full story. There are too many pieces of the puzzle missing for us to come up with a conclusive picture. The world is not a binary place. The world is be'etzim grey. It's be'etzim grey, which is called chayshech. We be'etzim live in a world of darkness. Living in a world of darkness means we never get to see clearly what's actually there. Both in terms of the physical world, not both, in terms of the physical world, and how much more so in terms of the spiritual world. It's so deeply hidden that we really have very few glimpses of it, which is fantastic, because that's what... Chanukah is all about, and ironically, Chanukah is also about the development of the human mind and science and philosophy, etc., 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 in in the world of uh, the the great Greek civilization. Why well, how does it work with Torah? How does it work with Torah? So Torah is also science. See, Torah is not maths. Torah is science, which means Torah never you never have all the variables there. Take, for example, Len Gemara. Um, because there's deleted information, background information missing, sentences are ambiguous and incomplete, there will always be multiple ways of learning a single sugya. Place will learn this way, Rash will learn that way, Rash will learn that way, the Rif will learn this way, the Ran will learn that way, the Rif will learn that way, and the Rosh will sum it up in a completely different way. So, how can you do that? And who's right? It depends on your perception of absolute truth. In Torah, being right means being faithful to the process of analysis coming from a place of authentic quest for understanding. doesn't mean about coming to a unanimous agreement. In fact, in your experience of Torah, you'll notice that very much huge amounts of our study, even though not perhaps huge amounts in a, a quantity perspective of Torah revolve around Machlekesim. Two opinions. Two opinions. And those two opinions are both held to be equally valid, even though they are mutually exclusive. Now what does that mean? How can you have two rights? So you see, our process of understanding absolute truth is not defined on an objective result, but on an engagement in the search for understanding based on an authentic and real 
perspective of what is there through the angle of me. You see, because if the angle of me wouldn't be there, if there'd be, if there'd be an objective truth, so there'd also be no room for humanity. There'd be no room for varied individuals. There'd be no room for personality. There'd be no room for diversity. And Machlekes is a function of the human side of us. That despite our capacity to rationalize and to reason, but even our reason is colored. So I'll give you an example. We have Beisham Beisilah. Beisham Beisilah, on them the Gemara says, Eilu ve'elu Beishama, what he said, was the words of the living God, which is what we call truth. And what Beishama said are the words of the living God, which we call truth. That's absolute truth. Dvar Hashem is a, you don't get truer than that. That's the reality. The problem is that the realities were fundamentally in conflict with one another. One person doing the same act was inherently right or inherently wrong. And you couldn't put them together and rationalize both of them because they're mutually exclusive. The case is as follows. According to Beisilo, if you marry this woman, it is an Isur Kores. It is the most severe restriction you could ever do. And if you engage in intimacy with this woman, your soul will be cut off. So there you go. You've got the people, students of Beisilo, and they hear someone's doing this, and they say, oh, wow, this guy's got no oil on my bar. What a pity. Or according to Russian choices, his children will die. Terrible things. That same person gets married in the base Shammai camp, and he's done the biggest mitzvah in the world. Whoa, that's pretty extreme. That's pretty extreme. That doesn't lend well into binary thinking, does it? That's like pretty harsh. Sorry. Oh, that's nice. The beauty of when when you when you close the door and the sounds louder. This is like making you yeah nostalgic. Nostalgic. We went through like during the building. You guys, many of you missed the three years of giving share above the sound of drill, and not only giving sharing above the sound of drill, but I actually led meditations with drilling in the background, and it was it was it was magnificent because I'd be sitting there and I'd say, okay, so you you never know when the drilling would begin, which like added an extra element of of drama to your to your to your, to your sessions. So I was like, just everyone get calm again to that peaceful state of mind and just as you're starting to feel your body letting go and relax yeah! <laughs> so then like how do you cope with that in the context of meditation and as there may be slightly intrusive sounds <laughs> I want you to embrace those sounds um, and I want you to feel that that piercing, piercing sound <laughs> of the drill is just another noise in the background <laughs> in the background it was like it was it like pushed me to literally new levels of meditation in the course of sheer I learned to dance to the rhythm of the drill so what I'd do is I'd use the drill as like background information to like rank like rank up the pshat so I say so pshat so I say well that's pshat in, in Rashi and then you just like kind of go with it and it was actually an amazing amazing time for me very special fortunately we moved to the to the new place and we only have occasional beautiful reminders of what it used to be in the glory days. So, so in Torah you have these, like this diversity where there's two people and they have two positions. And the irony is that in, if you look at it, if you look at the action, the action is like it's it's extreme. It's either amazing, gewaldic, huge mitzvah, or it's horrendous, abhorrent, heinous, perfect. And both of those are looked to be those are both the word of God. 
So what, what, what is God saying? Is he saying is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? What's this? According to Beishama, it's the right thing to do. According to Beishama, it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah, but what did God say? Well, according to Beishama, he said this. But what did God say? But it's, it's like a machlokes. It's literally like a machlokes. There's a machlokes in God. And God says, you know what? I say like Beishama. And you say, do you really work by us? He says, I say like you as well. You know, you start getting a bit like the, the, the famous Jewish joke, which I find funny because it like reminds me of like my parents' sense of humor. And you won't find it funny because you've forgotten about your grandparents' sense of humor. This is the way the joke goes. There's two men go before a rabbi. Um, sorry, two, a man a, a man and his wife go before the rabbi. Um, and he's standing there and the rabbi back in the head of Shammah. So Shammah's supposed to be like assistant. He's, he's um, I think it's a fancy English word for it. Sectant or something. He's Gabba. He's Shamash. And then the man wife come and they, the woman just lets out. She just lets out. There's like a series of like complaints about her husband. And then he looks at her and he looks at him and goes, looks at the husband and goes, no, she's right. The husband says, what? And he lets loose with a series of complaints against his wife. And the rabbi looks at, at the husband and goes, no, he's right. So the shamash pops up from the background and he says, Heather, he says, you can't do that. Either he's right or she's right. And the Rebbe looks at the shamus and he goes, you know what, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for the sympathy laugh. So, it's good, it's good, it's keeping Jewish tradition alive. Um, another bad Jewish, no, no, sorry. The problem is, as, as, bad, Jewish, as bad Jewish jokes go on, they're also, they're also becoming like, I suppose, as time goes on, so... So things, as the moral current changes, as it tends to do every month or so. So, so, so then you have to be careful about, you know, political correctness. And well, is, is the approach like that now? In, because we're in Galus and the whole mixture, we don't know. So that's and this and this and this. So, okay, so, so it's fundamental. It's fundamental, even when Mashiach or whatever, like it's going to be. It's a good question. Ideologies, ideologies, and like thirty different halachas. Like what's going on? It's a good question. Or like, was there ever a time when it was one set thing? In the time before Toshib Alpeh, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Toshib Iksav, Toshib Iksav, in the world of Toshib Iksav, there's only one Mahalach. In the world of Toshib Alpeh. Is it ever going to come back to that? Or is this the way we're going to find the rest of it? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. You want it to come back to that? It's not, it's not, it's not happening like in the next few days, Pashtus. So you may have to suffer this for a bit. Um, so... Um, Okay, so let's go back to so how, how is that? What is that? So, and th- this is a crucial point because this is not embracing the fact that anyone can say what they like. And, you know, the, the way that this could be mistranslated is pluralism. Well, that's my truth. We've all got our own truth. You know, if you want to believe that, that's great. And I really respect you. But I want to believe the way I want to believe. Okay? I believe it was flat. I want you to embrace that belief as well. No, you have to agree to it, but just give me the right to believe that. I want to believe that the world's getting hotter. That's okay. You can believe it. You can believe in climate change. It's okay. No, I believe in unicorn. You believe in climate change. Whatever. You can do it. You can do it. Sorry, I don't mean to, I'm to offend the Australians. Here. I know this is like trading on very, very, very dangerous. So, um, yeah, 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 I'm saying, I'm, no, 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 I understand. I understand climate change is, is kind of where we should be putting all our efforts right now. And I understand how crucial it is to the maintenance of definitely the developmental potential of humanity as a whole. We should really be putting more and more and more and more and more and more effort into climate change. That's where it's at. Um, <laughs> that, of course, and COVID restrictions. That's what we have to work on. 
we want to preserve we have to want to preserve we want to preserve the kind of the the I don't know what but we want to preserve it okay so <laughs> here we go so you can't just make it up as you go along right because oh you know like you know you can't look in the Torah and say well for me the Torah is speaking about <laughs> the beauty of the soul yeah it's amazing what's being to there's not Beisham Basila saying like you know the Torah's Erev is awesome um the secret of Machloikis is the reason why both are true because both are refracting a prism of divine light. And just like when you shine a single light beam into a prism, it can refract into the colors of the rainbow. But even though it's a single beam of light to begin with, within that light, it contains a complete range of colors. Torah is so broad that within a single word of Torah, it can be refracted into shivim ponim. That's what Torah is. It's shivim ponim the Torah. It's got, it's got 70 different facets. Each facet is different, which means when I look at Torah from this perspective, you know, a facet means when you, when it's, there's, there's, a, there's a 3D object, and when you go around it, you see different sides of it as you move around it. So it means that this object is located in some kind of space. We'll discuss what kind of space it is. And whenever there's a discussion of space, there's a discussion of orientation. And whenever there's orientation, so then perspectives will differ. So, for example, if I would lift up this book and I would say to Ash, Ash, what does it say on the cover of this book? Mishnah Torah. What does it say, Gabe, on the cover of this book? It doesn't say anything, does it? Nope. So to me it says, Mada Ava's money. Does it say Mada Ava's money for you? It does not. Okay, so then who's right? Well, we're all right, aren't we? Because we're used to standing, you see that. We're used to sitting, sorry, you see this. And where I'm sitting, I see that. So we're all seeing the truth. We're We're just seeing a facet of the truth. And based on where your position is, the facet of truth you'll see will be different from someone's, like if I ask you what he sees, he just sees the spine of the book. He doesn't see anything. Is he wrong? No one's wrong. Everyone's right. But since we are, have take up a different space, no two people ever see the same thing ever in their lives because they'll always be in a different place at a different time. No two people can occupy the same space. So since we are individuals, it means we don't occupy the same space. Also intellectual, and this is a big Kiddush, we don't occupy the same spiritual space, which if we don't occupy the same spiritual space, it means that when we look at spirituality, we're all going to see something different. We're all going to be seeing the same thing but from a different perspective. And the totality of the reality of the thing we're witnessing has to be a combination of the conglomeration of all our experiences together. And that's when the totality will come. All those things, when they're combined, will bring about the true fruition of everything. Yisrael is the is the gematra is the nutricon is the is the roshetavus yesh shishim ribui oisios the Torah. There are six hundred thousand letters to the Torah, which means each Jew, each shorish neshama, has its own letter in the Torah, and that's the letter it sees. And the Jew next to him sees a letter next to it, and the Jew next to him, and that's why in the Rambam points out that in the Esaias Adibus it says Anoich Hashem speaks in the singular because every single Jew gets a different Torah. But this is, needs to be expanded upon more, and we have such run out of time. Thank you for your patience. 